This is not the small print of the gospel. This is not some hidden message in scripture. Jesus made it very clear that a decision to follow was a decision to die, to surrender everything to him. And so Jesus turns to the crowd and he turns to you and me and he asks the one question that will ultimately define our lives. Are you a fan or a follower? Well, this summer, while Elise and I were on vacation, we were just bored one day, and so we went into a mattress store. Not that we're really in the market for a mattress right now, but we were just killing some time. And it was one of these uh, places that sell the sleep number beds. How many of you are familiar with sleep number bed? How many actually have a sleep number bed? Anybody have? All right, we got at least one. All right. These things are amazing. It's like really, really cool because what they do is they, through like little air pockets, they create this custom mattress just for you. And so they gave us a test right there while we were in the store. They actually had us lay on the bed, and you get into the position that you normally sleep in. And, of course, you know, my back hurts, and, like, I lay on my side, and my shoulder hurts, and all that kind of stuff. Well, then they take this, like, thermal image of your body, and they can show you there's, like, green means that you're feeling no stress in your body, and then the red parts are the parts that you're feeling a lot of stress and a lot of pressure. And so then they, like, start putting air in and air out and all kinds of stuff, and you keep telling them, yeah, that feels good. No, that doesn't feel so good. And eventually they get to the place where you're like, man, can I just sleep right here in the store right now? I mean, it's just so amazing, this mattress. And they do another thermal scan of your body. And of course, this time, it's like all green. It's like completely good for you. It is so, so comfortable. And there's health benefits to it as well. Now, again, we're not in the market for a mattress right now, but if we were or the next time that we are, it's definitely something that we'll keep in mind. Now, I brought that up because I want to give you a little quiz as we start here this morning. How many of you, if you had the choice would choose a like custom mattress like that or would you rather have like an old 20-year-old box spring that's falling apart? Which one would you choose? Let me hear you. The, the brand new one. All right. Very good. Uh, how about this? If you were forced to run a marathon, I know most of you don't want to run a marathon, but if you were forced to run a marathon, would you choose your most comfortable pair of sneakers or wooden clogs? The... The sneakers, very good. Okay, uh, if you were going to go on vacation for a week, would you choose your favorite vacation destination, or would you rather camp out in the desert in the hottest part of summer? Your, your favorite location. All right, now each one of those were very, very simple questions for you. And what you did is you always chose the thing that would make you most comfortable, and again, th- those were so obvious that, well, of course I'm going to choose those things. But what isn't so obvious is that our society actually constantly sort of steers us to always make the, th- the decision that's the most comfortable. Hey, have you ever thought about that? That really when the, when the rubber meets the road, you typically go to the path of least resistance. You go to the area where you're going to find the most comfort. I mean, think about it. Comfort things... Uh, are like billions and billions and billions of dollars a year in products that are sold, whether it be a sleep number bed or memory foam mattresses. There's all kinds of you know various things that are out there. There's Lazy Boy recliners. 
You can get your office chair now with lumbar support put in it. Why? So you feel a little bit more comfortable. You have like body pillows and they're snuggies. And uh, my friend Andy, who runs our, our tech here, he actually has a jacket that has its own climate control. I mean, literally, it's got a heater in it and everything, and you can keep it at just the perfect temperature. Why? Because you want to be comfortable. Well, and he didn't have to pay for it either, right? Yeah, his company gave it to him, but... But why, why does the company give it to them? Because they want the employees to feel as comfortable as possible because they know that they're going to be probably more productive. Now, again, there's nothing wrong with any of those things. But here's the deal. When we allow comfort to start to drift over into our Christianity, then that becomes a problem because when we start living our Christianity only based on what makes me feel the most comfortable, what's the most convenient thing for me, again, big, big problems happen Anytime you get to that place. And so that's what I want to talk to you about today as we continue this Not a Fan series is, have you made the cross even a little bit too comfortable? Now, we've been looking at a scripture throughout this series. It's our key verse. It's found in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Hopefully by now you've had the opportunity to actually memorize this. Go ahead and say it if you know it. Jesus says this. He's really defining the relationship. Remember, we said all of us have to have that defined relationship talk. Uh, and this is how Jesus defines relationships. So go ahead and say this with me. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Now, in the first three weeks of the series, we looked sort of at the first half of that verse where we looked at if anyone would come after me. Today I want to talk to you just about the cross. Now, if you think about it, a cross isn't something that's very comfortable. Jesus didn't go to the cross because he's like, you know, I just want to hang out today, literally and figuratively. But, you know, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't going to be a comfortable thing. I've shared this with you before. They actually had to come up with a new word for this. It's called excruciating pain. X meaning out of and crux, the cross. Excruciating. So it wasn't comfortable. Fans of Jesus want everything to be comfortable. And so the cross isn't a, a word that they really want to think about. And so what fans have done is they've tried to de- deflect sort of the meaning of the cross. You know, you'll hear fans say things like, well, you know, we all got our crosses to bear. Now, actually, that's a scriptural thing, but yet they'll say it about the most trivial things. Like the slightest little inconvenience, like they get stuck in traffic or an appliance breaks down. They're like, well, I guess we all have our crosses to bear. Like that's like a major, major deal in life. It's not. Or, you know, the other thing that fans will do is they only really think about the reality of what the cross really means at Easter. The rest of the time, the cross is like just a decoration you have in your living room or, you know, a piece of jewelry that you wear around your neck. But the, the, the cross is so much more than that. The, the cross can't just be this thing that we make comfortable in our lives. Followers understand that. You see, when Jesus said that we must take up our cross daily and, and follow him, he wasn't saying that that was going to be something that was comfortable. Again, it wasn't comfortable for Jesus to, to carry his cross and then go to the cross. And so Christianity isn't always comfortable. It isn't always the most convenient thing for you. Sometimes it's going to require some real sacrifice on your part. Now, again, this, this doesn't make sense to us a lot of times because, you know, doesn't Jesus want us to invite more people to be his followers? 
So shouldn't he make it as easy as possible to to follow? And and talking about taking up your cross daily, that doesn't sound like, wow, sign me up for that. Man, I want to do that. I want to experience that type of thing. Obviously, when Jesus was in rabbi school, he didn't get a marketing degree as a part of that. Because, you know, you would think that we would want to make following Jesus and then the cross and everything as appealing as possible. But him saying, no, take up your cross daily and follow me. That's not very comfortable at all. But yet, that's what we do so often. We we try to make Christianity, we try to make the cross as appealing as we possibly can. I mean, even as churches, we're we're guilty of doing this. Then, you know, we, we try to make it comfortable. We have heat for you in the winter and we cool it during the summertime and, you know, you're, you're pews or your chairs or whatever you know in various churches they're always padded and we're in a movie theater for crying out loud i mean yours probably even recline a little bit and there's coffee out there in the cafe for you you know you can heat your body with it or use it to wake you up i mean the the bibles they're leather bound now i mean it feels even comfortable in your hands we have the app for you now hopefully you're following along on the U version app there on your phone with everything that's happening on the screen right now We've made it so comfortable and convenient, you don't even have to bring your Bible anymore. You can just pull out your phone. But it's not about comfort. It's not just about making things appealing and and easy, because that's not what Jesus said it's going to be. All that's going to do is create fans of Jesus instead of followers. For a little bit more about this, Kyle Eidemann, who wrote the book, Not a Fan, uh, has something to share. Watch this. Sometimes in an effort to get as many people as possible to follow Jesus, I have, with good intentions, made following Him sound as attractive, as appealing as possible. And so I've talked a lot about the unconditional joy, the peace that passes understanding, the grace and mercy that frees us from all of our guilt and shame. Those things are true and they are beautiful and they should be spoken of often. But I've realized that I have been guilty of selling Jesus. I've emphasizing only the parts about Jesus that I thought people would like. Imagine it this way. Imagine if my oldest daughter grows up and goes to college and after a number of years isn't married, but she really wants to be. And so I decide to help the process along. And I take out an ad in the newspaper and I put up a billboard sign and print up t-shirts begging someone to come and choose her. Wouldn't that cheapen who she is? Wouldn't that make it seem like they were doing her a favor? I would never do that. If you want to come and get to know her, you better come with everything you've got, or I'll send you packing.
The Apostle Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians 1.18. He says, The message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know it's the very power of God. In other words, fans see the, the cross as something very, very foolish. But followers understand that, no, it's the most powerful thing that there is. Now, for the, the people of Jesus' day, they saw the cross as anything but powerful. In fact, they saw it as the ultimate symbol of weakness. Remember, in that day and time, the, the Jewish people were under the, the rule of the Roman Empire. And the, the Jews hated, I mean, absolutely hated that they were being ruled by somebody else. And that, you know, this is supposed to be God's land. And here's these, these foreigners that are ruling over us. But every time they would try to revolt and any time there was some pushback, you know what the Romans would do to them? they would nail him to a cross. And so crosses there in Israel were a reminder of the slavery that they were in, and it was also a reminder of how hopeless they were. It was a, a sign of weakness, of look how weak we are. We can't even you know, overcome this foreign body that's ruling us. And so, again, they, they, you've got you've to picture this. They despised the cross. Again, here, here in America, we, we've, lost, we've lost that. You know, we, we don't execute people on crosses anymore, and so we don't really think about the, the cross. But, but to them, I mean, it was the ultimate sign of, of just torture, and it was the ultimate sign of weakness. Let me put it to you this way. If you were able to like transport somebody from that day and time, like through a time machine or something to 2013, and they walked into your house and they saw an illuminated cross on your living room wall, they think you're some sort of sicko. Because it wasn't a, a piece of jewelry. It wasn't a, a decoration that you have up. You know, to them, you know, us wearing a cross as a piece of jewelry and stuff, they, they wouldn't have understood that. I mean, that'd be like you today basically having like a, a piece of jewelry that has a guillotine or you're wearing like earrings of electric chairs. So it would have just been like completely incomprehensible to them of why are you wearing something like that? Why do you have this sign of weakness there on your wall? Well, what's, what's this all about? Just would not have made any sense at all. To them it meant death, it meant weakness. But you know what? I think that was God's point of using the cross. He wanted to take the ultimate sign of weakness and turn around and use it for good. He wanted to take the most foolish thing that the world knew and turn it into a symbol of life and of love. He wanted to take the thing that was meant to be demeaning and shameful and turn it into the power of salvation. So Paul goes on in this chapter and he's talking more and more about the cross and the, the foolishness that the world sees in the cross. And then he says this, 1 Corinthians 1, 22 to 25. He says, it seems foolish to the Jews because they want a sign from heaven as proof that what is preached is true. And it's foolish to the Gentiles because they believe only what agrees with their philosophy and seems wise to them. So when we pre preach about Christ dying to save them, 
the Jews are offended, and the Gentiles say it's all nonsense. But God has opened the eyes of those who are called to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, to see that Christ is the mighty power of God to save them. Christ himself is the center of God's wise plan for their salvation. This so-called foolish plan of God is far wiser than the wisest plan of the wisest man. And God, in his weakness, Christ dying on the cross, is far stronger than any man. I mean, if you think about it, who else but God could take the cross which represented death and turn it into a symbol of victory? Who else but God could take the cross which was all about guilt and turn it into a symbol of grace? Who else but God could take the cross which represented condemnation and turn it into a symbol of freedom? Who else but God could take the cross which was meant to represent pain and suffering and turn it into a a symbol of healing and hope? Who else but God could take the cross which was meant to represent death and turn it into a symbol of life? I'll tell you who else. No one else. No one else could have done that. And here's why that's important to us. And this is something you really got to internalize for yourself. And it's the the big thought that I want to get through to you today. It's there on your outline if you're taking notes. That what God did for the cross, He wants to do for me. You need to internalize. I say that. What God did for the cross... He wants to do for me. He wants to take the weakest parts of you. He wants to take the most shameful parts of you, the parts that you despise about your life. And he wants to do the same thing that he did for the cross. Take this this ugly, shameful thing and turn it around and use it for good. So that your life is a symbol of life and hope and love and joy. What God did for the cross, He wants to do for you, and He wants to do it for me. When Jesus says to take up your cross daily, a part of what He's saying there is, give me the ugliest, weakest, most shameful parts of your life. Because then and only then can I prove how strong I really am. We we just sang that in the song. That it's when we're weak that God is strong. You see, if we're strong, we don't need God. And anytime we're strong, God doesn't get glorified because people say, oh, look how strong they are. But when we humble ourselves, when we acknowledge our weakness, and we say, man, I don't have it all together. I am weak. That's when God says, now I'll be glorified in your life. And people see me living in you and see me, uh, see me through you. That people see what you're going through and the, the shame and, the, and the, the weakness and all the things that you despise. And they'll say, somehow, some way, God worked in their life and they've turned that around. And God will get the glory. So what God did for the cross... He wants to do for you, and He wants to do it for me. When you are weak, He is strong. Again, to our minds, this just simply doesn't make any sense. But I've shared this with you before, that God's ways are not our ways, and our thinking is not God's thinking. God's so much wiser, God's so much greater than we are. And so we have sort of the way that we think that the world works, and we think this is the wisest thing, but God most of the time says, nope, it's actually the opposite. 
I shared some examples with you in the past, you know, like we talk about the tithe. And I've said this to you before that to God, 90% is actually greater than 100%. Now, our math says no, 100% is greater than 90%. But God says no, 90% of your income with my blessing on it is far greater than 100% with my curse on it. And then we've looked at other scriptures where God says, actually, Jesus says it this way. He says, if you want to save your life, you've got to what? Lose your life. Well, that doesn't make any sense to us. And here he's saying, if you want to be strong, you have to be weak. But is that how our society talks about it? No. Our society says, no, strong is strong and weak is weak. But that's not how God works it. And that's what Paul's saying here. All the the wisdom that the world throws out there and they say, man, this is the way it works. God's saying, nope, nope. It's in your weakness then that I'm strong and I'm glorified. So in 1 Corinthians one twenty seven, Paul then actually says this. He says, God has deliberately chosen to use ideas that the world considers foolish and of little worth in order to shame those people considered by the world as wise and great. Guess what I'm trying to say to you this morning is this. God didn't use the cross in spite of its weakness. God used the cross because of its weakness. He purposefully chose the cross. And he's purposely choosing you and I, even despite our weakness, to make a difference, to change the world. Now, I know you're going... Gilbert, I hear you and stuff, but you don't know my weakness. You don't know the things that I'm shamed about. You know, I've messed up. I've done all kinds of things. God could never, ever use somebody like me. But listen, you're not hearing what the Scripture says, that it's when you are weak that God can be strong. It's when you're weak that God can use you to change the world. You know, the Bible's full of examples of, of people that the, the wisdom of the world would say these people are just simply not qualified to change the world, but yet they did. L- listen to just a couple of examples of weak people in the Bible that made a difference. Abraham was old, Jacob insecure, Leah unattractive, Joseph who was humiliated, Moses stuttered, Gideon was poor, Samson was proud, Rahab was immoral, David had an affair, Elijah was suicidal, Jeremiah was depressed, Jonah was disobedient, Naomi was a widow, John the Baptist was eccentric to say the least, Peter was impulsive and hot-tempered, Martha worried a lot, the Samaritan woman at the well had several failed marriages. Zacchaeus was unpopular. Thomas had doubts. Paul had poor health. Timothy was timid. And the list goes on and on and on and on of people that we find their stories in the Bible that they were weak, but it was in their weakness that God was strong. God uses imperfect misfits like them and like you and like me to change the world. And so if you'll humble yourself and acknowledge your weakness, then and only then will God give you strength. Paul continues on then, and he says this in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 to 10. Jesus is actually speaking, and he says, uh, Paul says that he said to me, My grace is all that you need. My power works best in what? Jesus says, my power works best in? Weakness, right. And then Paul goes on and reflects on this, and he says, So now I am glad to boast about my weakness, so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weakness and in the insults and hardships, persecutions and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. 
So Paul says, I take pleasure in my weaknesses. And that's what followers do. They take pleasure in their weaknesses because they know that then God is going to get the glory. What do fans do? They try to cover up their weaknesses. They try to pretend like they don't have any weaknesses. The easy way to know that people do this is think about job interviews. One of the questions you get asked at every job interview is, tell us about your greatest weakness. Now, you don't come out and say things, well, well you know, I'm a real procrastinator. <laughs> you, know? you, you don't say, well, you know, my greatest weakness is I'm late for everything, including work. Uh, you just you don't come out and, and say things like that. You don't say, you know, I really have trouble getting along with my coworkers. <laughs> right? If you're trying to get like a tech job, you wouldn't say, well, my greatest weakness is I don't even have the slightest idea how to turn on a computer. So what do we do instead? We so often try to take our weakness and make it seem like a strength. So what do people say? They, they say to you, well, what's your greatest weakness? We say things like, well, let me think about it. You know, to be honest, I'm a bit of a perfectionist. And so I, I like try to do everything to the very best of my ability. So see what you're doing there? You're trying to, to turn around. Or you'll say something like this, well, you know, my friends would probably say my greatest weakness is I'm just a complete workaholic. I mean, I'd spend all the time at the office, and I work, and I work, and I work, and I work. Again, we're trying to take what looks like a weakness and, and make it look like a strength. Why do we do that? Very, very simple. Because the world says strength is strength and weakness is weakness. But what does God's Word say? No, weakness is strength and strength is weakness. Don't try to hide it. Don't try to cover it up. Allow God to use that. And so he's glorified and the world will be changed. If you don't want to think about being a world changer, think about just changing your office to start with or changing your neighborhood, changing your apartment complex. Don't hide those things any longer. That's what we do. That's why thousands of books come out every year, self-help books, that you can do it. You know, just work really, really hard. Don't give up. And you should do all those things. But yet that's not what it's about. It's about allowing God to do for you the same thing that he did for the cross. Take all the junk in your life and turn it around and use it for good. So Paul says, if you want to be a follower, strength will come only when you realize your weakness and you daily surrender yourself at the foot of the cross. Kai Eidemann actually tells a great story that illustrates this. He says he and his family were on vacation once and his son was just a, a little kid at the time and he had brought along a backpack that was full of toys and books and various things and it was quite heavy and throughout the day you know kyle said to him son you you want me to carry the backpack for you and he said his son was just making a really big point of no dad i'm strong i, I can carry this you know and he's carrying this backpack around all day long and kyle said as the day went on you could see that the son was getting tired you sure you don't want me to carry? no dad i'm look at me i'm strong he said, finally, it was the end of the day. They got into the hotel parking lot, and they're sort of walking through the lot. 
And all of a sudden, his son just stops, gives a big sigh, just drops the backpack on the ground. Didn't even say anything, just drops it on the ground. Kyle reaches down, he scoops up the backpack, he puts it on. He said they took a couple more steps. His son stops, he sighs, he reaches up his arms. Kyle reaches down, he scoops him up, and he carries him the rest of the way. And he said, you know what? Not only was I happy to carry my son's burden, his backpack, but I was also happy to carry my son as well. And that's what Jesus wants to do for you. Not only does He want to take all the junk and all the burdens that you feel and carry that, but He actually wants to carry you as well. But again, so many times we're like, No, Jesus, look at me! I'm big and strong! I can do this! Jesus said, No, 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 no. Cast all of your cares on me because I care so much for you. He said, My yoke is easy and my burden is light. said, lay all those things on me. Again, not only does He want to carry that for you, but He wants to carry you. So often we're like, no, I know the right path to be on. I've got my way, God. Jesus is saying, no, if you'll allow me, I'll carry you into my perfect will. I'll take you where you need to be. But what keeps us from doing that? It's a very simple word. Pride. Pride. Because we want to be strong. We don't want to be weak. We want to be strong. But I hope you're getting this this morning. You're only strong when you acknowledge your weakness. You're like, man, I don't like my weakness. I'm ashamed of it. Again, that's how the Jews felt about the cross. But yet God took it and He turned it around. So the question this morning is simply this. Are you going to allow your desire for comfort, your desire to be in control and your need to feel good about yourself, maybe because of your position or your paycheck or your accomplishments, are you going to allow your need for the approval of others to allow you to make the cross a comfortable thing for you? Or are you each day going to take up your own cross? Whatever that may be, and no matter how uncomfortable it may be, and say, God, here it is. Here's me. In my weakness, I want you to be strong. Will you allow God to do for you what he did? for the cross. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together to worship you and to, to hear from your word and to see once again how much you love us and how much your grace is so much uh, even greater and, and more uh, awesome than, than what we could ever possibly comprehend. Jesus, thank you for going to the cross so that our sins can be forgiven and that even in the midst of all the, the junk that goes on in our life, that when we're weak, you, God, make us strong. Jesus, I pray that right now each and every one of us would just 
quiet our minds, quiet our hearts, quiet our souls. Surrender ourselves completely to you. And God, be humble enough to admit that pride many times gets in our way. Where we say, God, look at me, I'm strong. Lord, help us to realize that our ways and your ways are completely different. And it's only when we're weak that we're truly strong. Change us, oh God. Change us. I may be weak, but your spirit's strong in me. My flesh may fail, but my God, you never will. I may be weak, but your spirit's strong in me. My flesh may fail, but my God, you never will. I may be weak, but your spirit's strong in me. My flesh may fail, but my God, you never will. Lord, I pray that all week long we would just continue to remember the the message from the day to remember that what you did for the cross you want to do for us and that maybe we would just continually sing that song to ourselves that I may be weak but your spirit is strong in me and when my flesh may fail God you never will God thank you again for who you are that you change us and make us more and more like you. Help us to be followers that take up our cross daily and not fans who just simply want to be comfortable. I ask all these things in Jesus' name.